This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm Melissa Moretti. And Melissa, today we have a great guest, someone I can definitely call a good friend, Lawrence Greens, president of Spire Development Corporation. We've had the pleasure at William Wright Commercial working with him and his group for quite some time here. We've watched them grow and expand tremendously. And he joins us today on the program to talk everything around BC, markets they like, the construction industry. He also goes into a new venture that they have and talks about sort of investment opportunities in that side of the business on the financing side of the development side, which some people may or may not know exist. But overall, great, great episode. It unveils a lot of stuff, shares a lot of knowledge with us. Definitely a must listen to. Lots of really good information here. And the one thing too that I love at the end of it, and you have to hear it, he takes his kids to some awesome, awesome concerts and they get to meet the band. I'm jealous of his kids. Who do they got to meet in the last to one? To be honest, I don't even know who these these bands are. Well, that's the problem is, Melissa, you're probably 22. And a lot of these bands yeah. here were probably, these were back in in like our parents' days with the old 80s metal bands and the long hair. So maybe a little bit before your time. I'm going to look them up. I'll but, look but, them up. But if you are looking for a good band, I always highly recommend Nickelback. They're kind of around the same area. So they you can always, uh, why, the, why the sad face? <laughs> always ruining my day. But one thing I did want to talk touch a little bit about Saw the March stats yeah. kind of came out in, in real estate on the residential side. Yeah. Obviously, that's a clear indication of kind of what happens across the real estate market, period. Affects the commercial side. Yeah. Things seem to go in the right direction. What are you guys seeing? Things are picking up. Absolutely. You're seeing a lot more urgency on the on the part of buyers. Um, not as much inventory, that's for sure. We're we're seeing sellers still holding off a little bit. And and so that's creating a lot of a little bit of panic in some in some areas for buyers. So is that's what's driving it now, lack of inventory, although we still have records, not record setting, but extremely high interest rates. Is yeah. it lack of inventory is why people are having to get up and go? I think there's a lack of inventory. That's part of it. I think the certainty around interest rates or, or you know, appearance of some certainty, yeah. you know, maybe the interest rates are coming down this year or early next year. People are feeling a little more confident and they're thinking this is maybe their opportunity to to get in there. And and you're seeing that kind of across the board. So now, seeing, is it market specific that the activity is happening or is it just kind of a blanket across the lower mainland? Lack of inventory is driving everything. Yeah, I would say that's a big part of it. So guys, without, without further ado, let's get to our interview today with Lawrence Green, president of Spire Development Corporation and the Spire Group of Companies. All right, let's go. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. All 
All right, we're here today with Lawrence Green, president of Spire Development Corporation. Lawrence, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Corey? Good, Lawrence. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and Spire? Spire Development Corporation was uh, co-founded with my business partner, Pete Rakow, uh, about 17 years ago. We were working together for a Western Canadian developer based out of Calgary. And prior to that, I had a, a long brokerage career in the commercial real estate industry with uh, Colliers and Cushman and Wakefield. You know, always had the desire to sort of start our own or, you know, my own thing. And, and um, you know, one thing led to another. And when I met Pete, um, so my experience and my background is basically deal negotiating, financing, uh, deal structure. And, you know, our, our roots were sort of based in, in the industrial market. I met Pete. Pete was at uh, at a company called Opus that I mentioned before, which is Calgary-based developer, and he was physically building the buildings for um, for Opus. And uh, when we met, we just became fast friends and and knew that we'd have a partnership and um, you know great life together, hanging out and having fun and, and doing some deals along the way. So when we married the two. Uh, skill sets, you know, it really sort of gives us the, you know, the diversity and the experience to go from, you know, a meeting or an interview like this to, you know, a set of keys for, you know, ourselves or one of our clients at the end of the day. You know, we sort of cover every every aspect of of development and construction from, you know, concept, design, fitting the building on the site, zoning analysis, and then we've got, you know, everything in-house. So it's kind of a one-stop shop. We have marketing, design, construction. We've recently added a finance uh, side to the business. So it it really is a one-stop shop for, you know, turnkey type projects and that sort of thing for ourselves or for our clients. And I think it just really, you know, adds to, you know, the stability of, you know, real estate's a risky despite what people might think over the last couple of years, you know, real estate is a risky game and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And, you know, handling all sides of the equation from, you know, design and deal structure and execution to the physical construction and controlling that process on site really just adds to the certainty of of success with our projects. And and, uh, rather than being a normal developer who you know, goes out and hires a third-party contractor, third-party architect, and has no control really over the over the situation. So we control every asset or every part of the asset uh, construction and design and then impl- implementation. So from Spire's perspective, you can do it on behalf of a client. Does Spire also acquire their own land, develop, build, and sell, or, or maintain assets as well as working for clients in the third party? We do. Typically, third-party stuff, uh, we are very selective on uh, who we deal with. Uh, typically, it's either you know referral-based or having done previous work with these groups. We, we typically don't do bid and tender work because it seems to be a bit of a race to the bottom and, and uh, you know, a more adversarial process than you know, us controlling the process for our client and our client having one single point of contact. Uh, that manages the whole process, and then so that makes you know that makes things a lot more efficient and a lot easier for the client, especially you know not too dissimilar to residential. You know, most of the people that are are buying projects or are building a building for the first time, and it might be the only time they ever do it. Um, so having that experience and the ability to take it from a concept to completion uh, as smoothly as possible 
is um, you know is a big benefit for our clients. And then, so we try and <clears throat> we try and acquire as much property as we can and hold on to it. You know, unfortunately, it's a you know a very cash and equity intensive business. So we hold what we can, um, and uh, then other stuff we become more merchant and design, develop, and sell into the marketplace or lease into the marketplace, and then sell the asset after that. So it was really, really a mixture of it. And, um, you know, we hold retail assets. We've held mini storage, residential rental, you know, uh, different asset classes like that. So depending on the deal, what's going on in the market and, um, you know, our ability to uh, park some capital, it really just that sort of dictates, you know, whether we're selling into the market or holding. So you obviously through this business, you've been you've been on the forefront of commercial real estate for quite some time here now. You guys have been very successful along the way. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about markets that, that you guys are excited about or stuff that you're looking to acquire in and why? Yeah. So traditionally, uh, we've been a lower mainland developer and builder. And with the scarcity of industrial land, the cost of land in the lower mainland, the time frame that it takes to get a building permit even on a permitted or on a uh, zone site, you know, the, the costs are just so high. And sadly, those costs, you know, end up getting passed on to the end consumer. So what we've done is, you know, we've looked at, you know, typically, our, our, I guess our deal structure and our, our business structure has led us into outlying markets. And um, so we've done half a dozen projects with a, a company called Prairie Coast Equipment. They're a uh, John Deere dealer uh, with multiple multiple locations. And that relationship and that trust in business has led us into markets like Canloops. We've looked in Prince George with them. We have uh, done deals in Chilliwack with them and all those sorts of uh, markets. And so that client leading the charge and having us there responsible for for uh, developing their projects has got us into markets. And, and Chilliwack's an excellent example where, you know, we built a $10 million facility for John Deere uh, and we got plans and permits and and the go-ahead within, I want to say it was like 10 weeks, you know, for a zone piece of land in, in the industrial park. So that became something very attractive to Pete and I. We started looking around in the Chilliwack area and, you know, have acquired, uh, we acquired a regional shopping center out there, which we sort of have re-tenanted with our, with our deal experience and our, our tenant experience. We re-tenanted that, built a few more buildings and we hold that asset today. I think we acquired that in 2015, and we still have that asset today. And, and uh, so that's really how we've gotten into some of these markets. We've built in Calgary, Edmonton, on the island, Chilliwack, Fort St. John, Kamloops, Kelowna. So and we, we actually quite enjoy the out-of-town work and, and um, you know going out there with our clients and exploring new markets. We have a desire to acquire more out there. and, and um, it's much, much easier, I will say, to you know to get a project off the ground and, and standing than it is in, in sort of the lower mainland with all of the you know political and and uh, geographic constraints and all that sort of stuff. So you mentioned there the the regional mall you guys have out there in Chilliwack. And obviously um Chilliwack's a market we talk a lot about here in the Fraser Valley area and stuff. Can you maybe walk us through how that you've seen that market change firsthand, say from 2015 to 2000 today, with everything from vacancy rates to maybe lease rates and how you've seen that market mature and grow? Yeah. Um, it's funny when, when we, when we acquired that asset in 2015, it almost been like it was in a different province, just with the distance from the lower mainland. 
And that's really how local guys were were looking at it is it's, you know, it might as well be in in Alberta. So when we got into that asset, though, you, you know, we were looking at it and saying, you know, we have, there's some vacancy issues because, you know, it's difficult to find service providers out there, whether it's trades that we know and trust or, you know, commercial real estate advice. You know, it's always sort of been a, a market that's a little bit too far out for for most of the big firms. So we thought well, that's got to be an opportunity because, you know, all of the the big players, you know, have to be in that market. It's a growing market, you know, with the addition of uh, Molson's out there. Most recently, Red Bull has, has acquired some land out there and they are um, going to be building a big facility out there, which is their only one outside of uh, Austria, which is my understanding. Um, and it's really just the fundamentals of those markets. Like rents were undervalued for, you know, what they need to be. You've got an overly, you know, easy and and uh, pleasant place to do business. You know, the attitude out there is, is you know, pro-business from, you know, from staff and people that work out there to, you know, the people that make decisions in City Hall. So that's been a real pleasurable experience. And then, you know, with cap rate compression that's gone on, you know, the ALRs, we all know, and the borders and the mountains and all those things are putting restrictions on, you know, developable and, and usable land. And when you get into retail and industrial, you know, you need quite a bit of land. So those larger parcels become harder and harder to come by and a great way to hold land and, and get paid while you do it. So now one thing we ask a lot of people who have been in the retail sector and obviously COVID was, was you know, crept up on us. Did you guys find maybe a market like Chilliwack exceptionally more challenging maybe than some of the other markets on the retail side of things? Or was Chilliwack a market maybe didn't experience the same tragedy like a downtown Vancouver did when everyone left the offices and never came back, it felt like? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I would say it was the latter. Like, you know, there is that real sort of, you know, pro-business and pro-work attitude uh, in Chilliwack. And, you know, in our mall, it's, you know, it's 80,000 square feet multitude of buildings so we have a bmo a tim hortons a shoppers dollarama uh, some government tenants in the office and uh, daycare you know that's been very very successful so you know we've got you know we haven't got a big grocery anchor but we've got you know some very big names anchoring the mall and we with the exception of a gym had no real issues with our tenants we did do you know quite a bit of work with them you know some of the restaurants obviously are having a tougher time and so we were working with them in different ways to sort of keep revenue going and, and that. But through that whole process, we only had uh, really the gym that, you know, unfortunately didn't make it. But, you know, just the, their business type alone, I mean, you know, it's, you know, through a situation like COVID is, you know, I don't know how they survived, right? The ones that have, I mean, it's, they've done an incredible job of, of uh, getting creative and, and, you know, staying afloat during a tough time when you can't congregate. Is Chilliwack a market you guys are still excited about? If there was other acquisition opportunities in that market, would you look to grow that portfolio or do you feel that area is kind of matured and things like Vancouver Island and the BC interior you mentioned that are more palatable from a cost and economic standpoint? We're looking at a couple of projects out there right now. And uh, even our current uh, mall, Better Point, is we're zoned for, I, I believe it's 80 or 88 residential rental units on there. So we're continuing to sort of uh, work through that as well to sort of see how we can continue to improve the mall and and um, you know maximize the assets value. We're 
big believers in the Chilliwack market. And, um, you know, it's weird. Land is getting scarce there, you know, as well. You know, you'd think the further you go out, the more land would be available. But, you know, that's not really the case in, in sort of the lower mainland. So, you know, Chilliwack is definitely on the radar, you know, as are uh, some of the other markets, as you mentioned, you know, Kamloops and Kelowna. Um, Kelowna, I think, you know, we'll see how that, you know, sort of filters out, whether that cools off a little bit, that market was on fire for, you know, a couple of years there that, uh, you know, it was just going at a pace that was incredible. And so, you know, we started to look around. We've, As I mentioned, we've got a couple of deals we're doing on the island. Those markets have been very good to us as well. Smaller deals, uh, which are things that I think you have to sort of factor in and readjust your expectations on return. Because, you know, it does take just as much effort to do a small deal as it does a big one. And, and you know, the numbers or the percentage returns, while they may be the same, you know, the dollar amount for the effort and that sort of thing is different, obviously. So most developers, as you guys probably saw in the forefront, had challenges during COVID with regards to, to pricing, with regards to construction costs. How did that, did that pivot your business model in any way? And do you anticipate... Maybe some of these prices that we saw seem like they've peaked and they've come off at. Do you anticipate maybe those construction costs to continue to come off? Or are we kind of plateauing now that this is just the new model moving forward? Uh, well, I'm hopeful, I think, like everyone else, that we'll see some price reductions on the cost side of building. But logically, sort of when I look through it, and um, you know, if you just take a look at concrete and rebar and steel and labor... Just with the amount of, you know, infrastructure projects that are going on in the lower mainland, you know, the demand on those, you know, just those little handful of, of components that go into the, you know, large components that go into the construction side of things, you know, I just don't see the, the pressure coming off on those. You know, you, Broadway, you look at the Broadway corridor, some of the bridges and hospitals and, you know, through COVID, we lost, you know, quite a few senior People that you know are, are experienced tradespeople, you know craftsmen at what they do, and you know there's just not enough people coming up through the ranks, you know, fast enough to keep up with the demand that's going on. And you know, when you look at the demands on housing, and if we can't get supply to the market, we're always going to have these difficulties in creating homes for people. And if we have demand for homes, then the supply side to create those homes would, you know, steel, concrete, people, that demand is going to be high as well. So, you know, I think until we sort of fix the, the huge gap in the number of homes that need to be created for people, um, you know, we're still going to have those serious pressures on, you know, not only the end product, but all the products it takes to get the product built. Before we hit record today, you mentioned about how Spire developments has grown into the Spire group of companies and the evolution of that over the past 17 years. Can you maybe just touch base a little bit on what else you guys have going on? Sure. Um, so within the Spire group of companies, we have uh, the main ones are Spire Development Corporation, Spire Construction, and most recently, Spire Pacific Capital. So Spire Development is basically a pure development company that acquires opportunities and, you know, builds those out or repositions them uh, for sale or uh, income within the group to hold on a longer basis and a longer period of time. 
Spire Construction, obviously, construction company where you know we we have all our own trades or um, all our own uh, labor force from you know project managers, on-site superintendents, uh, carpenters, laborers, you know all that sort of stuff. So basically, Spire Construction contracts with the various development companies under the Spire Development um, Program. And then most recently, what we've done is, you know, so there, there's probably about, you know, 40 companies within the tree, the corporate tree and that sort of thing right now. And so most recently, we've added Spire Pacific Capital. And Spire Pacific Capital is uh, a vehicle for uh, raising funds and deploying funds into first, second mortgages, um, maybe some bridge financing and those sorts of things. So we we created Spire Pacific Apple for a number of reasons. One, it's always been on the radar because when we started out, we didn't have any money, so we had to raise money to to get the equity to you know build out our projects. And then as we started going through it, you know, when we would need to top up on some of our financing, for example, so if we were going to develop an industrial building, and one of the traditional Schedule A banks or one of the credit unions would lend us you know, 55, 65% on a land acquisition and we wanted to build it out, but needed a little extra financing to get us through the planning, design stage, et cetera, before we got into construction financing, we'd typically typically go out to a private lender, borrow capital and get us through that process. So fortunately or unfortunately over the years, Pete and I have borrowed so much money to get these projects up and down. We thought, hey, why don't we do this ourselves? Uh, much like we got into the mini storage business uh, as well that way. But um, so uh, we had Chris Enns join us from uh, Kingset Capital. And so the three of us are partners in Spire Pacific Capital, and we raised funds um, either putting in our own funds or raise funds through family and friends to invest in other projects that are other development projects that are construction projects that are going on in the lower mainline. So Recently, we've seen with interest rates rise the way they have, there's a, a huge delta between what lenders, bank, traditional banks are lending and what developers now need for equity and, and cash into a deal. So we've been sort of analyzing those opportunities and, um, you know, we've got tens of millions of dollars out right now and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, the plan is to grow that business and, and uh, you know, make it as, as big or bigger than the other other two sides of the of the current spire group of companies. So you touched base there on just how like the equity game has changed with regards to a developer. You've obviously seen all aspects of the deal from the brokerage side to the finance now the development side. For our listeners, can you maybe just give us just maybe a very high level? How does like an equity deal work for a developer? A lot of people obviously that listen to this this program probably see these big towers going up and assume that you know that there's one guy signing all the checks who's got billions of dollars in the bank. Can you maybe just sort of just on a high level sort of break down what a typical development financing may look like from a developer perspective? Sure. I mean, there, there, there's a few of those guys in Vancouver's, you know, got a few of them running around that, uh, you know, can do that. I certainly am not one and uh, I don't want to speak for Pete, but, you know, but um, <laughs> we typically, like most developers, are, I think what people don't really understand is private equity in the real estate business is a massive component of uh, what's going on. And traditionally, um, that's been sort of a little more, you know, it's been a little bit tougher to get into. And what we've thought is, you know, this is another way for people to 
invest money, extra cash that they have, see different returns than they probably would uh, investing in traditional markets, you know, whether whether they're buying, you know, uh, mutual funds or directly buying stocks or whatever the case may be. We typically structure our deals on a sort of, I guess the lowest we've, the shortest amount of time we've lent is six months. And the longest we try and do is about 24. And the idea behind that is uh, twofold. A, it keeps pressure on the developer to keep the process moving. And B, it's, um, you know, it's generally, you can sort of crystal ball out there a little bit on, you know, if you're going out 24 months, you know, you start getting out further than 24 months and everybody starts to worry a little bit about what's happening. You know, is there going to be a change in the market, you know, change politically, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we try and keep these deals as short as we can. The The beauty of them really is, A, they're secured by real estate that, you know, we would want to own ourselves if, um, if something, unfortunately, were to go wrong. Um, and I think the most unique feature about Spire uh, Pacific Capital versus anybody else in the space is that we're owners and builders of real estate as well as lenders. So traditionally, people in this space would be relying on market data that's maybe a bit older, quantity surveyor reports, et cetera, to justify or to prove out all the information that the developer would bring uh, when he's requesting a loan. The reality of our situation is we're building projects every day, so we understand costs better than you know any bank. Uh, because we're the guys actually in there doing it every day and, and uh, you know, paying the bills to get those things done. So when we have a sponsor come and ask us to lend them some money and we look at their pro forma, the first things we can pick out are, you know, construction costs, time frame, you know, all the different things that go into getting a site permitted, you know, all of these things that, you know, the average person who's who's not active in the space every day could possibly know. So that adds a huge amount of security to, you know, our investments that, um, like I said, other people in the space just can't, just can't provide. And then typically with these things, you know, you, you know, you're pre-funding your interest. So for example, if you were to lend somebody a million dollars and your interest rate on the mortgage is 10%, you know, the borrower would actually only receive $900,000 and we pre-fund our interest, the hundred grand for a year into a separate account. So, and that money gets distributed on a monthly basis to the investors uh, so that they receive their return right away. It's a really safe way of, of um, investing in real estate. It's quick, you're in and out, and you know, unlike the regular development process and that. So how we get out is basically when uh, the sponsor uh, receives permits or kicks off construction, gets construction financing, and you know, we get paid out and traditional construction financing goes in. So from a developer's standpoint, and that, I'm guessing that's primarily the target uh, sponsor you guys are looking for through Spire Pacific Capital. If the advance is 900 versus the million-dollar loan, is that developer then paying monthly interest installments or they've already prepaid it with the $100,000, which is held back on the interest payments? Correct. It's the latter. So, so that way, you know, the developer doesn't have to make monthly payments. They're essentially prepaid, if you will. And the investor doesn't need to worry because, you know, his interest is tucked away in a separate account that, you know, we draw on on a, on a monthly basis. 
So obviously you've seen, like I said, we touched base earlier, the broker side, you've seen the construction, the development side here. So I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball. And just so you know, Lawrence, anything you say here, we will hold you to no questions asked. <laughs> Where do you think the market's going? Obviously right now we still are have high inflation numbers. Interest rates have still managed to stay relatively high or extremely high. We've had the American banking sector down south kind of go a little wayward that may cause some issues. Where do you think BC real estate goes over the next, say, say 12 to 24 months and why? Yeah, so I, I think on a, on a, you know, on a purely macro basis, you know, if you look at the numbers with the amount of people that are projected to come to, you know, Canada and, you know, most of those people are going to want to end up in either, you know, Vancouver or Toronto. You look at the housing shortage we have here, uh, industrial land shortage we have here, you know, even retail, you know, regional, as much as retail has changed, you know, getting your hands on land in the lower mainland is brutally difficult and extremely competitive. So, you know, I think as long as those those metrics exist, uh, there's going to be, you know, at least gentle upward pressure on, you know, land, construction costs, the end product, etc., you know, when I look back, I you know, I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, when I look back at my sales career as a, as a commercial broker, you know, where, you know, people would buy residential rental projects that are, you know, negative leverage. So basically with negative leverage, you know, you might be buying at a three cap, but your interest rate is four or five. So that just means you got to put more money into the deal, more equity into the deal. So you know, traditionally, those have been like the bond component of your real estate portfolio. Like if you own a little bit of every asset class, residential rental will be your hedge against inflation. It'll be your your bond or your money in the bank type scenario. Whereas if you're, you know, buying something a little bit more sporty, you know, you need spread on your interest rates and, and on your cash flow coming in. So I think personally myself, you know, if you look at where we've come from with the interest rate environment we were in, that was really the anomaly. I think we're into a more normal interest rate environment than we have been. And I think that, you know, that low interest rate environment has caused a huge amount of the, the frenzy and a huge amount of the inflation that's that's happened because, you know, when somebody's pro forma or somebody's business plan doesn't include financing or the cost of, and risk of debt. Um, as a serious, you know, component to that decision, uh, then, you know, there's a problem. And I think that's where we've come from is that money was free and easy. And, you know, the party's over on that side of it. And so I think we're, you know, we're into a little bit more balanced and normal interest rate environment right now. I hope that we see stability on on the 12th. And, um, you know, the, the Bank of Canada holds our rate. But, you know, we still see the governments, you know, stimulating the market with free money and, and opportunities and, and uh, spending money. And if we're going to get inflation under control, we've got to stop spending money. That's the bottom line. It's almost counterintuitive. They seem to lower rates too fast. All of a sudden now you're just kind of like fueling an inflation issue. Housing prices yeah. get pushed up and then they probably have to relook at, you know, fast forward six or 12 months, relook at interest rates again thinking, oh my gosh, we've almost counterintuitive ourselves and what we're yeah. trying to do here. Absolutely. I think too, the other thing is, you know, I mean, the government let this run out of control. You know, I, I don't, you know, 
I don't know how you have a target of two to three percent on inflation and then you let it run rampant into the high single digit numbers, which is the numbers they were telling us. And quite frankly, I think it's, you know, in all practical, real terms for as a consumer, you know, I don't think I think rates were easily into the double digits, you know, inflation rates. And so, you know, the the government was stimulating the economy, you know, like crazy free money, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it just, it got out of hand. And so everybody is, I know lots of people have made some pretty big bets because that, again, interest rates were supposed to stay low. Uh, And then here we are, we've seen, if not the largest increase in, in prime rate in history, one of them for sure. And so quickly. Yeah. So it catches people off guard. There's, you know, real estate is not, despite what a lot of people think, it's liquid, you know, to a large degree. But when you're in it and trying to get it to that liquidity event, there's a lot of work and a lot of time that goes into it where it's uh, it's very difficult to get out of these projects. You, you know, you just have to keep walking through the process and, and get it finished. So all in all, over the next 24 months, slight upward pressure on pricing. Too many people coming here, cross our fingers, don't make any big bets. Yeah, I, I just, you know, right now, I just don't know what a good deal is right now. And so, and that's really what kills things is when there's no, I can make money when the markets are going down or I can make money when the market's going up. Stagnant is difficult. Well, I can tell you where all the good deals are. William Wright commercial. <laughs> that's, where all the, that's where all the good deals are. We got some yeah. good ones coming for you. Lawrence, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day. We know you're extremely busy. Um, but before we let you go, we got a six pack of lighthearted questions. We ask all of our guests, we get to know you a little bit more outside of the office. Do you have a few more minutes for us? I do. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, Melissa, first question up. First question, favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, well, I'm going to give uh, my my buddy here. I live in Tawasson. My buddy is classically uh, trained chef, and uh, he's got a little restaurant here in Tawasson called the Luminate. And um, uh, Roland Smith has cooked uh, there and owned that restaurant for, I'm going to say, 15 or 17 years now. Best food in the city and best value. He uh, used to be the chef at some of the big restaurants downtown. Got tired of the commute. And uh, we're very fortunate to have them. Well, that's going to go on my list next time I'm out that way. It sounds delicious. Yep. So, Lawrence, unfortunately, you found yourself in trouble here. You're on death row. You're granted one more meal. Your arteries no longer count. What is the last meal you're having? Anything you want anywhere in the world? Probably start with caviar. And um, I love foie gras. And then probably into a nice big steak or something like that. Mm. Mm. Melissa was smiling there when you were describing that. I think she's going to come join you. Not that we want to find you on death row or not, but. <laughs> yeah, just, uh... All right. Next question. Favorite band. Ooh. So I grew up uh, listening to eighties hair metal. So, you know, <laughs> I recently took the kids to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard and uh, Joan Jett and Poison. So 
I just probably it's probably going to be either Motley Crue or uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Now, how how was how was the concert at BC Place? Well, we were actually funny enough. I bought the tickets prior to COVID. Speaking of COVID, uh, for down in Seattle because they were only doing a stadium tour at that time, okay. and uh, we had to wait three years to uh, go down and see them and that sort of thing. But when we did, uh, we had a blast. So awesome. actually. The first, the first concert I took the kids to see rock concert. I took them to see Kiss uh, at the end of uh, their end of the road tour here. We were row two, got to go meet the kid, meet Kiss in the uh, behind stage and everything. And so they loved that one. It was great. Awesome, awesome. So it's Friday night. You've had a couple glasses of wine, maybe a bottle. You're feeling good about yourself. Someone gives you a karaoke mic. What song are you singing? Ooh, um, probably. Um, Fleetwood Mac, Don't Stop, I think it is. Well, that'd be a good one. Hmm. Yeah. All right, next question. What's a book you recommend all of our listeners read? Art of War. Well, it was quick. Yeah. No, I, I read that book every time I uh, I travel. And I, you know, it's funny, that's, you know, COVID. I used to travel at least once a month and that, even if it was just for a quick little weekend. But um, Art of War, and then there's another book, uh, that I quite is 177 secrets of uh, uh, oh god the name escapes me now anyway it's it's quick little read one page sort of every day and that and um, but the art of war really you know to me is that's a classic good book last question yeah. up here something you've purchased for fifteen hundred dollars or less has had a positive impact on your life lately ah. Uh. I just built a house, so I don't think there's anything. <laughs> During all these high prices and everything, so you know, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, but apparently not. See, that's a good question. Actually, we we can um, increase them. Let's go twenty five hundred. You, you did say caviar is part of your last meal, so we're kind of getting a, a, a remnant of what type of life Lawrence has here. So yeah, so yeah. let's go twenty five hundred. Let's go twenty five hundred. Yeah. So twenty five hundred. I just um, I was on a, a trip. Uh, in uh, Winnipeg, of all places, to see the Jets play um, with the Canucks. And um, a buddy of mine has a cigar and whiskey bar in Winnipeg. So I, I loaded up on uh, getting my Thermidor uh, uh, all sort of filled up again. So probably, you know, probably about uh, a dozen nice cigars. Oh, wow. Oh. Good. Well, so I know where I'm, I know where I'm going this weekend then. Yeah. <laughs> so Lawrence, how can our listeners find more about yourself, Spire Development, Spire Group of Companies? Where they can where can they go look you up? Yeah, actually, uh, easiest way is just spiredevelopment.ca uh, or uh, spirepacific.ca, and then my email address is Lawrence L A W R E N C E at spiredevelopment.ca. And if anybody's got any questions or that sort of thing or you know, opportunities were always open and happy to chat with people. Well, Lawrence, thank you once again for taking the time to sort of you know, dive into more about Spire and your thoughts on the marketplace here. We really appreciate it. And then all, hopefully our listeners will reach out to you if they have any questions. Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity. Tremendous. Thanks so much, Lawrence. Have a good day. Lawrence. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Lawrence Green, president of Spire Development Corporation. Great conversation. Very knowledgeable. Like he's obviously, Spire's been around for 17 years, he said. He was, a, he was a broker before that. So he's bringing knowledge from the broker sales side of things. He's yeah. bringing in knowledge from the asset management side of things. He's bringing knowledge from the development side of things. And now they're bringing knowledge on the development capital side of things. 
opened up a window there for people how, who may not realize you can sometimes invest in these limited partnerships through the financing aspect of it. And he talks a little bit about there, lots of great opportunity there for people looking to you know, diversify portfolio from real estate into real estate lending, which obviously with the high interest rates have probably been pretty lucrative as of late. Great information from Lawrence today. And because the interview was long today, Melissa, let's not tie up any more people's time more than we have to. How can our guests get a hold of you if they ever want to find out more about residential real estate? Yeah, absolutely. They can call me at 778-869-4477 or email me at melissa at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And Corey, how can they get a hold of you? People can reach me by email, Corey at williamwright.ca. They can call our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. Let us know what you're looking for. We'll put you in touch with the best broker throughout the province to service your needs. Or they can visit our website, williamwright.ca, sign up for the latest and greatest news. And that's all we have today. That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening, guys. Another great episode next week. Take care. Subscribe today.